Our sermon text uh, this morning comes from Philippians 2. You're reading verses 5 through 11. Uh, please keep your finger there. Um, let's first turn to Isaiah 45. Isaiah 45, we'll be reading verses 18 through 23. And if you're using the Pew Bible, that's found in, uh, in or on page 606 through 607. Uh, Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's word uh, given for his glory and for your good. So give your full attention to it. Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 18. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn... From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Let's turn now to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Have this among yourselves, which is yours... Oh, I'm sorry. Have this mind among, your, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death On a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. Let us pray for God's blessing. O Lord, our God, uh, open our eyes that we, uh, that we might behold wondrous things out of your law. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sights, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
Uh, so we're here. We're at the heart of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Uh, everything Paul has been saying has been leading up to this. And everything he will say after will reflect back to this passage. Uh, there's a lot in this passage, so I want to just kind of uh, get right into it. And so here's a big idea I want us to wrestle with this morning. Uh, Jesus' humble life spurs us to lay aside our advantages for the sake of one another and the glory of God. Jesus' humble life spurs us to lay aside our advantages for the sake of one another and the glory of God. Uh, Paul is picking up his command to the Philippians. Uh, he said to them, make my, uh, my joy fuller, complete my joy, be humble in the way you treat one another, one another considering uh, others more significant than yourselves. And for Paul, Jesus is paradigmatic of a humble, selfless life. Uh, that's to say, Jesus is our example, and not just an example. He is the archetype. He is the example. Uh, but, you, uh, but you have to know, Paul is not interested in behavior modification. Paul is interested in spiritual formation. It's about forming gospel instincts within us as we live with one another. That's Paul's point of bringing up Christ as our example of humility. Uh, because this isn't about simply becoming better people. This is about being reformed, reshaped into the likeness of God. It's about reflecting who God is as we encounter Him in the Lord Jesus. And Paul wants us to do this together. That's why he says in verse 6, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, a humble mindset always appears as a communal activity. It's always a communal activity. Notice Paul is not giving us a good advice. He's giving us a command. Cultivating humility in community is not an option. Why? Because it's part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus together. Paul doesn't know anything about humility in isolation. You can't actually be humble apart from other people. Reflecting the selfless attitude of Jesus happens in the midst of doing life together. And so becoming selfless then is profoundly about gospel repetition. If you want to be more selfless, then you need to consider again and again who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That's essentially what Paul is doing in our passage. He's re-presenting the gospel story to us and that we might learn to apply it in our lives. Because being humble should never be abstract. It's not about something uh, to think about only. Because humility actually needs to be lived out. And so here's the first thing Paul tells us about Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
That's amazing. Jesus is the very form of God. I like how the Nicene Creed puts it. God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And according to the Westminster Confession, uh, Jesus is equal in power and glory with the Father and the Holy Spirit. This fundamental reality is what gives force to Christ's humility for us. Jesus, the Son of God, shares in the divine identity of the triune God. That's the highest status there is. And if you think about Paul as a Jewish believer, this is a very strange things, uh, thing to say. Uh, why? Uh, remember, Paul is an expert in the scriptures of Israel. And he knew Israel never saw God's form with their eyes. They only heard with their ears. Uh, listen to Deuteronomy 4. Uh, this is when Israel was receiving the Ten Commandments. It says this, Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice, and he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. But now Paul here says that Jesus is the very form of God. Israel saw no form. Jesus is the very form of God. How can that be? Now, let me just say, Paul is not talking about shapes. He's not talking about physical form, as if God has a physical body. God is spirit, we're told. He's talking about being. Paul is saying, what Paul is saying is that Jesus shares in the essential nature of God. Jesus is one in being with God. And although Jesus was in the form of God, Paul says, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. You know, this is really the opposite of what Paul just said in verse 3. Uh, he said to the Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let me just remind you what that means. The word for selfish ambition there has to do with shady politicians. When politicians grasp, when they're grasping for an office in underhanded ways, you know, they would often trample on people to get what they want. It's basically they're stealing, right? And the word grasped here in verse 6 is actually about robbery. It's when you assert yourself to take something. You take something by force, and you use it for your own advantage. You see, Jesus wasn't like a greedy politician grasping for an office, seeking to take advantage of others. I mean, after all, Jesus has always been and always will be equal with God. He already has that office. But Jesus never used his office, his status, for his own self-gain. And so instead of grasping for glory like a greedy politician, Jesus takes his hands away, and he willingly emptied himself. And this has to do with sacrifice and self-giving. 
Paul uses similar language when he said this to Timothy towards the, the end of his ministry. He says to Timothy, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. Uh, let me just say what this doesn't mean uh, when Paul says Jesus emptied himself. It doesn't mean that somehow Jesus ceases to be God, that somehow uh, Jesus stopped being divine. You know, that's not it. The Son has always been and always will be God. What Jesus is doing in denying himself uh, is denying himself the privileges of his divine status as God. Instead of being treated as someone who is high and lifted up, he shares in the status of the lowly. And so that's Christ's way of giving himself for us. And so Paul says of Jesus, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, it makes sense why Paul introduces himself and Timothy the, uh, the way he did in the very beginning of the letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, Philippians 1.1. It makes sense because uh, to be a servant, or more accurately, accurately, a slave, is to be like Jesus. It's to follow Him in all of His lowliness. Because Jesus refused to exploit his divine status. Jesus gave up that right by becoming someone without rights. He became a slave. Uh, Do you see the great distance of Jesus' humility for us? He goes from being the form of God to taking on the form of a slave. You know, a slave is the lowest of the low in society. A slave didn't have any rights. That's the status that Jesus took on. I like how Gordon Fee says this about Jesus and his lowering himself. He says this, He, Jesus, entered our history not as kurios or lord, but as doulos, slave, a person without advantages, with no rights or privileges, but in servanthood to all. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but don't men do the very opposite of that? They enter history as slaves, slaves to sin and the world, but they assert themselves wanting to be kurios, wanting to be Lord, wanting power and advantages over others. I think, I think this says something about what greatness looks like in God's eyes. And so what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? It has nothing to do with how powerful you are, how influential you are, how smart you are, how much money uh, you put into the offering. It actually has to do with weakness. It has to do with how low you will get for others. 
You remember the sons of Zebedee, James and John? Uh, They wanted Jesus to give them prestige and status. They wanted to sit uh, on either side of Jesus in the kingdom. And you know how the, uh, the disciples responded? The disciples were ticked. Uh, listen to what grace, greatness looks like to Jesus as he responded to his disciples. This is what he said to them. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be, must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Beloved, do you want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then be a slave. Be a servant. Get low for other people. Look more and more like Jesus. Paul goes on to say that Jesus' humility didn't stop with him emptying himself. And being found in human form... He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, Paul says, verse 8. The phrase, he humbled himself, literally means he took himself to the lowest place. Uh, This is in contrast to Jesus coming from the highest place, the place where God dwells. Uh, Notice that Jesus willingly lowers himself as he willingly emptied himself. He's not forced into this status. Jesus humbled himself. He lowered himself on his own accord. And how did Jesus become low for people? By becoming obedient, Paul says. Uh, The word obedient here is actually a wisdom word. Uh, Proverbs 13 uh, says this, A wise son hears or obeys, there's the word, obeys his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. You see, someone who is wise is someone who obeys their father's instruction. That's the kind of obedience Jesus enacted. He trusted his father's instruction for him. You know, this is to say that Jesus was never wise in his own eyes. He listened and he obeyed the wisdom of his Father, even if it meant going to die. Jesus obeyed his Father to his dying breath. This is why Paul says that Jesus is the wisdom of God. But it wasn't just that he obeyed to his death. His obedience, Jesus' obedience, led him to die on a cross. Jesus didn't just take on the status of a nobody, of a slave. He died the death of one. I mean, just think about that for a second. We, we often just glance over at the thought of the cross. But at the heart of the Christian faith is a brutally disfigured Jewish slave hanging on a Roman cross. 
Friends, think about that. That is why Paul called it a scandalon. It's a scandal. It's a message that has confounded the world. It's a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. It trips up people. It seems stupid to them. Because it's not an easy message to believe. I mean, if you saw, if you just saw a man hanging on a cross, what would you think of him? The bystanders saw Jesus on a cross and they could not accept him as Lord. Even people crucified alongside of him were critical. And so Mark in his gospel wrote this. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. You know, people are willing to believe if you just take away the cross. Because the cross for them is not a fitting thing for a king to do. And certainly is not a fitting thing for God to do. And so even the Apostle Peter had a hard time believing it. But the cross, the cross is at the center of Paul's message. I want to read again from 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, Paul says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So yes, the cross is stupid to the world, but it is the wisdom of God to save us from our sins. It is the height of Christ's self-giving humility for us. And so, is the cross an offense to you? Does it bother you? Or is it the place where you find your very life? Uh, Listen, you can either hate or love the cross, but you cannot be indifferent with the cross. Because if you truly understand the cross, Jesus is making war with your pride and your selfishness. Because if, you, because if the one who is high and lifted up should come down and stoop low to us and for us, then that changes everything. How can we ever be the same if we truly believe that? Uh, Paul uh, goes on to say that God responds uh, to Jesus lowering himself for us uh, by exalting him by lifting him back up to the highest place. And so Paul says, Therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Just as the Son freely emptied himself, so the Father freely exalts the Son. The word bestow here is grace. God graciously put Jesus to the highest place possible. I mean, it's actually the place where Jesus started. 
the highest place which is reserved for God alone. Uh, Psalm 97 says this, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. There's none higher than God. And Jesus is there because God has exalted him there. And Jesus received the name that's above every name. But what is that name, right? Well, it's God's own personal name, the name Yahweh, the name that God gave to Israel in Exodus 3. And that's the name that Paul is invoking here when he says, Jesus is Lord. The word Lord is not a title for Paul. It's the name Yahweh, God's personal name. And it said of the God of Israel, Yahweh has the highest name. The Psalter puts it like this. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Psalm 138. Paul believed that Jesus shares in that divine name. And so John, the Apostle John, can say that you can have life in Jesus' name because Jesus shares in the name of the Lord, in the name of Yahweh. Here's what I want us to see, though. Jesus doesn't raise himself. God raises Jesus to the highest place. And Jesus receives the status of the divine name. He doesn't give it to himself. Jesus is passive. He does, yes, Jesus does the lowering. He lowers himself, but he lets God do the raising. He lets God raise And so Jesus doesn't seek to validate himself. He doesn't seek to raise himself up. Uh, Do you know what it's called when we attempt to raise ourselves up? Do you know what that's called? That's called pride. Pride is always an attempt to raise ourselves up. But humility lets God do the raising. That's why Jesus says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And here's how Paul puts it. I mean, I'm sorry. uh, Peter, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Do you know who first exalted himself? The Satan, the accuser. He's the first one to ever exalt himself, raise himself up. Uh, Listen to how how Isaiah described uh, Satan's rebellion. It says this in Isaiah 14. And listen uh, carefully to the language of 
ascending and being raised. It says this, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's tragic. That rebellion has been with us ever since. Adam and Eve did the very same thing in the garden. And every consequent person has been doing the same thing ever since. Lifting ourselves up. But not so with Jesus. At the proper time, he waited for God. And at the proper time, God exalted him. And what was the result? Uh, Paul says, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is acknowledged for who he truly is, he's the Lord. He is one with Yahweh, the God of Israel. Uh, Paul is taking this from Isaiah 45, which is why we read, uh, read it earlier uh, in our Old Testament reading. There, in Isaiah 45, Yahweh is declared to be the one God of all creation. He's the maker of heaven and earth. There is no other God besides Him. And even more, He's the only righteous Savior. Uh, The Lord says in Isaiah, To me every knee shall bow, every tongue tongue shall swear allegiance. Uh, But here's Paul's conviction as he reflects uh, on that passage. And it's this, Jesus is that Lord. Jesus is the one God of the world, of creation, and He's the only Savior of the world. And everyone will one day acknowledge Him. Every knee will bend in submission, and every tongue will confess His Lordship. And all this, Paul says, is to the glory of God the Father. Do you know where we see Jesus most clearly exalted and glorified? It's actually at the cross. The cross is where God's glory is fully unveiled. And so in a most surprising way, it's the place where we come to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It is the hour of his glory, as Jesus said. And Jesus says in John 8, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. I mean, in John's Gospel, I am is a reference to the Lord, to Yahweh. And so Jesus is saying, when I am crucified, then you will know I am one with the God of Israel. I am one with the Lord. I am your Lord when I am crucified. The cross... Beloved, it's the greatest revelation of who Jesus is. So we need to take ourselves 
there again and again and, re- and be reminded who Jesus is for us. Uh, let me close with a few reflections. Uh, what does Jesus' selflessly giving up his high status on the cross say to us? What does Jesus' selflessness have to say to the way we live with one another? It should deeply crush our insatiable drive to take advantage of each other. Crucify your selfish entitlement. Put to death your grasping for self. Die to your manipulative ways. That's what the cross says to us. And what would our relationships look like, uh, look like if we truly believe that? If we truly believe the scandal of the cross? I mean, I wonder if we wouldn't be more giving than grasping, serving than being served, obeying God than being wise in our own eyes. Do you ever feel lowly and downcast? Uh, Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know. But if you take away anything from the sermon, relish in the fact that God identifies with the lowly. Those who are broken by sin, those in the margin of society, those constantly devastated by pride. He meets the lowly. Wait on the Lord. Look to Jesus because God raises the lowly. And so we have a meal to remind us of that this morning. Uh, The Lord's Supper before us is not a fancy meal. It's not a meal uh, where only a few are invited. Uh, It's not a meal for those who have it all together. And it's not a meal for only people with high status. In fact, it's a meal for the lowly. God is the host, and he stoops low to serve those who would humble themselves. So the bread and the wine are reminders of Christ's humble, obedient, and self-giving life. And he promises that anyone who trusts in him will be exalted. So Jesus says in John 6, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on that last day. Amen. Uh, let's, uh, I'd like to invite the elders to come that we might partake of the Lord's Supper. Let us pray. Our Lord and our Savior God, we thank you for your most holy word given for your glory and for our good. You have called us to fix our eyes on Jesus, your everlasting Son, the Word made incarnate, who, though equal in power and glory with you, met us in our lowliness. He was stripped of honor and dignity by the very ones he came to save. O Lord, humble us. Make that message soak deeply into our bones and change us from the inside out. And so be with us all the week long as we fight to humble ourselves to God and one another, that we might reflect more clearly the selfless love of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, whose name shall all knees bend and tongues confess that he is Lord to your glory. Amen.